0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. 15 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, we've got a device, um, flip open to Acts 15. And as we walk through uh, this chapter, every chapter in Acts, as we move through um, this latter part of the letter and the book, uh, is really going to point out some very specific things to the church. And this whole series is called Being the Church, and it helps us understand what it is to be the church. And so this chapter uh, talks about disagreements in the church. So lots of fun that we're going to have today to talk about disagreements in the church. But the chapter gets broken down into two ways. And so the first part uh, is is really about disagreements corporately as as a full church and where that comes out. And then the latter part, we're gonna see where disagreements come in between individuals in the church, but yet how those are resolved, how those are brought forth. And it's really actually beautiful. And you think, you hear the word disagreements, like, oh, this is gonna get heavy. And it does. And there's a point, the reality is we're humans. Some of us probably got up this morning and we had some kind of disagreement with somebody in our wood. It might have been just with you and yourself in the mirror. Anyone um, have that this morning? Yeah, amen. And so there may have been, if you're married, you probably had some kind of disagreement with your spouse walking out the door about how you drove or how you parked or, or how you did something wrong, um, how you stole the sheets throughout the night. Let's not talk about that. It's church. Um, or I guarantee you that if you have children, there was some level of disagreement before you walked out the door right? Guys right here in the front, these other brothers right here already hugging because they're trying to figure it out. This is just a part of our world. Disagreements are a part of our world. But when it comes to the church or something, it, it kind of pierces us deep, you know, because we think like, oh, this is the church. We're not supposed to disagree on things. We're supposed to be always in alignment and in unity and as happy and go lucky and smiles and high five Jesus all day long. But we're human and there's disagreements that come into play. And so I love that Luke unfolds this part of the history of the church for us, not only because we understand how the church wrestled through these issues, but what it does mean for us today uh, in these times. And so this morning, I'm going to walk through the disagreements that happened Corporally in the church and how we saw those get resolved uh, in this line of the church. And then Pastor Keith will be back with us next week. He actually, one little side note here, be praying for Pastor Keith. He's, he preached today at a church in Ethiopia. and He hops on a plane um, and then will be traveling for a couple of days to get home. So pray not only for uh, his, his finishing of his ministry in Ethiopia, but his travels home. That's a, it's a long trip. You, you look at a map or a globe and you think, oh, Africa's like right there. It's not that far away until you get on a plane you realize that's a long long ways away so pray for him as he returns and he'll be back with us next sunday and i'm sure absolutely will be giving us an update on all that god did while in ethiopia but pray for safe travels in return um i know it'll be great to have him back and it'll be good for him to be home um and to be here with us and so but he'll talk through the the disagreement side of of individuals and relationships that are there so we'll get to that so we're going to start chapter 15, very uh, first verse in verse one. And I'm going to break this down. I'm going to read through verse 11. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to read down through verse uh, 35, and then uh, I'll talk about that in a section. So as we walk through this, keep this in mind that um, a big part, sometimes we think, oh, it's disagreement. So there's believers, those those that are following Jesus, and then there's those that aren't. So there's a, a natural disagreement because you see differently about faith or spirituality or religion or God or whatever. This is not that situation. This is believers that are all said, hey, we believe in what Jesus has done. We believe in who he is. Um, And and we understand that the church is doing some new things, like something new is happening, but they're having some disagreements about the process of that. And so this isn't two people that absolutely disagree on their their spiritual journey or the person of Jesus. These are people that are in the same boat. They're in the church together. So it's all of us sitting right here. So kind of put ourselves in their shoes. And we're going to start right here uh, in verse one. Of chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, that means they they argued, they debated, they, they went through the throes with one another. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, again, another location, the church gathered together, they're debating over these issues. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their heart by faith. Now, therefore, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. So let's pause here. So there's this argument, this debate about this issue, that Uh, according to the law that a a man must be circumcised and then must obey the law, all the commands of the law um, to be saved that 's what the uh the believers that were Pharisees as they 've been raised up as they 've been taught that 's what they were believing and they're saying well no that 's not as Gentiles come into this faith because we are the chosen people of god so they're they're joining us, so they need to go through what we 've gone through they need to obey what we obey they need to live by the law that we we uh, live by now here 's a crazy thing circumcision i 'm not going to go there today um it, Kids talk to your parents, um, but so there's that one that one issue. But then there's a, the issue of obeying the law. Six hundred and thirty laws. They're saying that anyone who comes to follow Jesus has to follow these 613 laws. Now, if that's not enough, you can read in uh, the Talmud that there's 24 chapters on certain laws, 24 chapters. Some of us don't even read books that have more than two to four chapters in it, but here's one on just one part of one part of the law. So you think 613 is a lot amplify that by the pages and pages and scrolls and scrolls that define each detail of each law. So it's not me taking a a scroll of some sort and writing 613 things on it. It's 613 things with 24 plus pages under each one, defining every little detail This is heavy stuff. And this is why when Peter got up, he's like, don't put a yoke on these folks, these other disciples, these followers of Jesus that we can't even hold up on ourselves. Like you're you're trying to put onto something to them that you can't even live by. It's so heavy. The law wasn't meant to be a checklist of do these things and then you are saved. The law was intended to be able to point out we need God. Without these things, we don't understand our desperate need for a savior, for the God of all things, the creator of all things to love us and to redeem us and to reconcile us and to make us pure so that we can be in relationship with him. And so Peter's stepping in after there's much debate about this issue. Like, what do we do with this? Now, I want to give credit to um the Pharisees that, that have chosen, they go, yeah, we see what Jesus did. We understand that. But we still hold to everything we've been taught. So I want to give credit to them that this is what they know. This is what they've been taught from day one of their lives. This is something that's not just um, they've created and made up along the way and, and Other Pharisees have, they've definitely come up with their own versions of this, but we can see that these guys are are believers. They, They know and they see and they believe in what Jesus has done, but yet this is still their upbringing. This is what's ingrained in them, what's rooted in them. It's hard to let that stuff go. I remember I had a friend in California that uh, living in Orange County, California, it was awesome. It's like the most pristine thing in the world. And when you live in South Orange County, it's even more so. It's, it's, when people say it's a little bit of heaven, it's probably not so far away because you live that close to the beach it's a beach town so you're you're not in LA and you're not in San Diego you're kind of away from you never have to get on the freeway you have everything you need between you and the beach and and that's it there's coffee there's food there's a home depot and there's definitely two or three targets and you know everything else and there's five seven starbucks along the way to you and the beach and everything is pristine and and you're just taught like this is what life is if you've grown up in south orange county this is what life is and in south Orange County, there's pieces of property that would fit in your living room that cost 28 million dollars right? Now, the benefit of that $28 million piece of property is you're hanging off a cliff, which is really cool, but then you get to see the expanse of the Pacific Ocean, which is also pretty cool. And the sunsets in California are amazing, mostly because of smog. It adds a lot of fun color and stuff, but it's still beautiful. For so $28 million, you have this lifestyle of living on a cliff. That, by the way, there could be an earthquake and you could fall in the air, but that doesn't matter. It's $28 million, but you're kind of bred and, and, and you live in this world that you're raised up saying, this is what life is. You are born into a life of privilege You have all the money you need ever in the world And you are living in a place in the in the country that you are served you don't serve You get served you don't pick up a plate when you go to a restaurant They pick it up for you and that's true in orange county And I remember sitting with a buddy of mine and he was just walking through and discipling him and mentoring him And he's like, you know, jason. This is so hard. This was not what I was taught being raised it's hard to change everything that I've been rooted in from when I was a child till now and say, so you're, you're telling me that I, I, need to, I get to get up and leave my comfort and maybe suffer a, a little bit by not having six Starbucks to choose from or to not having the view that I have or to not having the car that I drive or maybe to, to choose a job where I don't have X amount of zeros in my paycheck. And that God can still use that. Like that was so foreign to me that it changes everything. It's so hard to break from that mentality. And I think for my buddy, he felt what the Pharisees felt. This is so different than how I've been raised. This is so different than everything I've been taught, I've been ingrained. I went to school about this stuff. I poured my life into learning and academics and then choosing and learning how to live this out and then being put in a position that I teach other people how to do the same thing. For years, hundreds and hundreds of years, my people have been taught these things. And now all of a sudden, something shifted, something changed. And so I give credit to the Pharisees because this is a big wrestling issue for them. It's not even them saying, hey, you're, you're wrong and I'm right. It's like, I, I don't even understand, I don't even comprehend what you're saying because everything, all I've been taught through my whole life, all that I've read, all that I've gone through, tells me something different. So Peter stands into the midst of the debate, which we've seen him do before in his boldness and stands up and says, don't you remember in verse uh, seven, don't you remember that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now by my mouth, you go back to Acts 10, when Peter had his vision, when God gave him the vision, Jesus spoke to him saying, here is all the, the food and the fruit and the meat that's coming down onto this blanket. It's for everything, eat of it. No, I can't eat of that because Peter wrestled to the same issue as the Pharisees. I can't do that. I would not make myself impure because that's what I was taught, what I I was like bred to live out. And God, Jesus said, no, there's something more here. If I say that this is good, it is good. Go after it, Peter. And so Peter's reminding him of that word given to him by God. And he's reminding them that, that truth that we are told has to be aligned with God's word. So when we're teaching these things, and, and the brothers are bringing this down about the Gentiles, God has already spoken on the issue. So let's go back to God's word as the, as the point that we hold to when we wrestle through this disagreement. And then in verse eight, he says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. So now we see truth by what we see. It also is aligned with God's promise. When Jesus left, he's like, I will leave you the Holy Spirit. When you choose to follow me, when you're in relationship with me, you will receive the Holy Spirit. So not only are we seeing it aligned with God's word, we're seeing it aligned with God's promise. And so when it matches God's promise, which is aligned with God's word, that's when we put our anchor down. That's what we hold on to. And so Peter's reminding them of this. And then he sets it up it's by faith. It starts with the faith of every person. What does faith mean? Like, what does that mean for us to have by faith? Because I have it by academics. I have it by teaching. I have it by everything I've been raised by. And all of a sudden, you're you're, you're changing something here. And it is by faith. So here's what faith is. This is just a statement that I'm putting together, and it's going to be here on the screen. Faith is believing in the answer, capitalized, that is Jesus. It is God's word. It is God's promise. It is believing the answer, even then we don't have all the answers. That's faith. We even see that when Jesus was, was healing men, he's like, and the man, a uh, uh, child was sick and, he, and the man goes, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe the minimum. I believe that you can do this change in my life. I believe you can heal. I believe you can save. I can believe you can do all things. Now there's a lot of other things I do not understand. But I believe what I believe. Help me with my unbelief. This is faith. I don't have all the answers, God. But I believe in you, I believe in what you've done. And from there, we understand that we have now been saved through grace in verse 11. And grace is simply this it's receiving what we don't deserve. It's receiving what we don't deserve. So Jesus gave us this beautiful gift of grace that redeems us and brings us back to him. And there's such a beautiful promise in that. Now, the faith thing is interesting because the Pharisees would say, well, there's gotta be more than that. But if you go to Hebrews 11, you see this whole chapter that outlines that by faith, and there's a name after those statements. Multiple times if you looked at Hebrews 11, every name, that Hebrews 11 references, man and woman is all from the Old Testament, before these Pharisees lived. By faith, they were saved. Their faith is what brought them into reconciliation with God. A whole chapter naming these individuals, men and women throughout the Old Testament saying, this is how they had relationship with God. It's documented long before this debate ever happened. And so Peter's just pointing them back to that place. And it's by grace that we have this. It's by grace that we've been through the work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection that we hold to that truth. And there's power in that. So when Peter addresses this with with the, the audience and with the church, he's saying, guys, things are changing And it's not that God's changing his mind. It's not that he's changed the way he's doing things. He's, I preached a a few weeks ago about how he's illuminating, he's broadening our understanding of his word and his plan and his promise, it's just like the man that, that and when he spoke to Jesus, Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. He's broadening what we don't understand. He's giving us more of the answers that we don't yet have. He's opening up and illuminating his word to us in a new way. It's a living and acting word. It's not one thing that I can read this verse and it's good. I got it down. I can read this verse a hundred times. And every time I look at the verse, it's teaching me something new. That's the beauty of God's word. And then when we see him work in people's lives, and we see that transformation, like, that's amazing. Now I'm seeing God's word come to life in front of me. And that's exactly what Peter's leading us towards. So this first step in this this disagreement is understanding that, hey, guys, we are growing in our understanding of what Jesus is doing. We're growing in our understanding about the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is a new thing for us. It's a new part of the nature and the character of God that, that is reframing everything we've known up till now. Are we being willing to hear what he's speaking? What he wants to do in our lives? And so moving on into verse 12, I love the next moment in the room. and all the assembly fell There was a debate in the room and it was building and growing and Peter stands up and I can only imagine that Peter's standing up in this audience. He's trying to, hey, everyone just calm down and and focus and listen to this because remember what we've been told. Remember what we have seen and he's trying to get their attention and as soon as he speaks and as soon as he understands and lays out the truth of God's word and the promise of God's word, they all fell silent. When God's word speaks, our mouths should drop. Have you ever tried to talk with your draw on the floor? Give it a try sometime. It's really hard. They all fell silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas are giving a report of what Peter just declared as truth. After, verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from them a people for his name. And with his words of the prophet agreed, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. I love those words, rebuilding and restoring. And the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual morality and from those that, that have been strangled and from blood. From ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Let me pause real quick there in the middle of verse 22 because something happens and it's really subtle in the way that Luke reports it. Agreement happens. That they hold to this and they say, this is good. This is, there's clarity coming here. There's unity coming here. I'm gonna come back to that in a second. Middle of verse 22, then they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter, the brothers, the both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us, from us, from the church, and troubled you with their words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, sometimes we, even we as a church, get it wrong. And we think we're going out with good intentions, but sometimes we just get it wrong. Verse 25, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, agreement, unity, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Seems like a really sharp way to end a letter like that, but there they are. Verse 30, and so they went off, they were sent off and they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, unity, fellowship. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I love this. Because right at the front end, uh, James takes us right back once again to scripture. This is what the prophets have said. This is what we're hanging everything on. This is the foundation we stand on, God's word. We get that there's a lot of teachings going around. These, these, these guys that went out, we didn't send them, but they went out and they thought they had an understanding of truth. They thought they had an understanding of this, but we're going back to God's word and we're going to see what he has to say about these issues. And we're gonna hang our hats right there. We're gonna stand firmly and securely on that foundation of what God has promised through his word. But yet we want to see unity in this, and we want to see clarity on what this means for us as the church, for every one of us, both individually and corporately. And so here's what that's going to look like. And he, they unfold this, uh, these list of things that they want everybody in the church to uphold. Abstaining from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from things that have been strangled, and from blood. Now, these things are interesting because they do come from the law. They're a part of the law. And and they're a matter of of testimony of of what God's doing, that, hey, if we all do this, we can be unified together. There's fellowship in this. It's, it's, It's not quite as sharp as what was earlier understood, all 613 laws and everything that came with, and circumcision. But if we hold to these things, We'll be good. We'll, we'll, we'll move forward in unity and fellowship and the gospel will continue to move. But then if you're at all clued into this, you go, well, wait a second. Isn't that still a checklist of things we should do? And as I thought about that, I'm, like, I'm imagining if you're a Gentile and you've never uh, had to abstain from eating a good steak. And you're like, wait, why do I got to stop eating my favorite food now? I don't understand that. Isn't there freedom in Christ? Isn't that what Paul and Barnabas have been teaching? Like, I don't understand. And, and, and the sexual morality thing, like, yeah, I think I get that for the most part, although I've been raised in a pagan culture where that is our worship. But let's set that aside for a, right because I think I can change that area. But, but the meat and then the, the blood, like I, don't, like, I don't get that. But there's a lot of things that they had to wrestle through. But here's what comes out of these that I want to point out to us. Every one of these things, That the apostles and the elders agreed upon, that the whole church agreed upon, were issues of holiness. They weren't issues of not eating a good steak or not drinking a cup of warm blood. Mm. It wasn't wasn't about intimacy and, and relationship and sexuality. It was about holiness. It's about bringing yourself to be pure before the Lord. That's what these laws were meant to be about. They're about pointing out the fact that God created you in his image to be holy with him, to be a perfect image of who he was and to live in relationship with him. That was broken because of sin. And so therefore we now live in a way that brings us back to that holy nature of who we are, God in us. And we need to get the things out of our life that cripple that, that trip us up along the way. That's what these things stand for, making us right before God. It's not even necessarily about food. Paul will even address that later in his letters. Like, don't worry about what you eat or don't eat. Don't let that make you stumble or make other people stumble when they come to follow Jesus. Make it about grace and faith this is a this is a doctrine that i 'll talk about in a second that is held throughout the church that we see in Paul, all of paul's letters to the church as he 's correcting these issues along the way because we 're still human and we still have disagreements and we 're still fumbling our way through it we 're still understanding the greater move of god 's word but these issues that they they pull out the um, they're drawing out an understanding of the holiness of God, that we can set these things aside because we want to be in a holy relationship with a holy God. When everything is unclouded and everything is clear, we get to experience and know the nature and the character of God even more. So absolutely get rid of these things. It's not even a debate of a checklist. It's like, why would I want these things in my life if without them, I can have this incredible, intimate, wonderful relationship with God in a way I've never experienced before. So absolutely get rid of those things. And the whole church is like, yes. That's why everyone came into accord. It's like, absolutely, yes. This puts us on the same path. This teaching, this new thing for the church, puts us on a unified and same path. We like to call it doctrine. It's a teaching it's a teaching that unifies the church when we come to disagreement. And this is so, so important for us as the church to recognize that there's some things that we all need to hold to. We all need to have clarity on. We all need to agree upon. And we need to run on those rails. We need to run on those rails. So here's the definition of a Doctrine. Just to kind of put us all in the same place, It's a set of beliefs that guide behaviors to live in accordance to the gospel, not accordance to what I think because I'm a super smart guy or what our elders think because they're super smart guys or anything of that nature, but they live accordance to the gospel, God's word and his promise to create unity in the body of Christ. When we're unified, the gospel will go out even farther than we could ask or even imagine because people are attracted to that. They want to see the unity of Christ, but they want to see people living in relationship with God. So this is doctrine. This is our teaching. This is what holds us solid and firm as the church. This is why this is important. First and foremost, as a church, we need to come down to this. It's about Jesus and what he's done. It's about having faith in him and the work of grace that he's given us through his death and his resurrection. That's why we are saved. It's not about what you or I do in any given day. It's not about the 15 minutes a day we spend in the word. It's not about how much we put in an offering plate. It's not about how many hours you serve. It's not about anything you do. It's because of what Jesus has done for you, that free gift that he's given you. Can we just stop and say amen to that? But then from there, as a church, we get to be unified. What does it mean to be holy together, to run after Jesus together, to set aside the things that trip us up and get us there? But together we can encourage and we can hold each other accountable that we can run forward towards God with everything we have. Yeah, we're gonna set aside these things because they don't do well for us. And I'm gonna encourage you and you and you and you to do the same with me. And I hope you do the same with me because I wanna run after that together because God didn't create us to do this life alone. He created us to do it together. But now we understand what that means. As a church, we have that. It's called our statement of faith. That's our doctrine, our doctrinal statement. That's what you see churches do. This is what I think is interesting about statements of faith in an evangelical church these days. Churches will see things differently differently all over the place, from worship to teaching to style of clothes to the style of building to everything else. There's a lot of uniquenesses to the church. Let's not break down and and, and tear into those uniquenesses. But if you look at the statements of faith, for the most part, the majority of our statements of faith all align. (laughs) We're all for the same thing. There's one true God. His word is secure. It is all about Jesus. He died and he he rose again. That's what it's about. If you looked at our doctrinal statement as as Westwind Church, ours, ours is just reaped with scripture. Like we have a statement, but then there's like a list of scripture that defines it. This is where it comes from. We're trying to do our best as a church to live this out, that we're going back to God's word to define who we are and our behaviors and our values and everything that lives out of that. We're doing our best to do that. But that statement helps us live unified as Westwind Church to believe and go after what God has called us to as a church having an understanding that it's about Jesus and a statement that's saying, this is why and how we will behave as we run after. This is what we believe is so essential. Because if we all can't do that together, we're gonna miss the opportunity of what God wants to do through our church in a powerful way. This is what resolves these, these disagreements within us. They're gonna come up. Let's just accept there's a reality that that's gonna happen in the church. And that's okay. But like these men in the early church, let's go towards the wisdom of others, ask them to speak into our lives, speak into the journey, speak into the disagreement. And let's hear not just from all these other things that are around us, but from the word of God, his truth and his promises. And let's stand in unity on that. Let's stand in unity on that. So here's a problem I recognized as I was preparing for this weekend. That can be really hard, similar to the Pharisees. And I think for us, we've all been raised similar to my buddy in, in Southern Orange County. We've all been raised in this world that we've been taught lots of things. And the, the unique thing between the Pharisees of the day and the apostles and the elders and the disciples of the day is they had pretty minimal content to go from. Their content was pretty driven. It was either the law or the gospel. And then the the bridge between that was Jesus, who was the gospel, the good news, came to fulfill the law. It was easily answered when it came to this conversation, which is great. Here's our struggle in our modern day. It's this right here. And I want to present this to you because I want to encourage us as a church that we may need to do a few things. When we think about approaching the church, approaching the gospel, approaching what God's doing uh, in and through our body, we need to do a couple things because it does start with us individually. It does start with us individually. We all have to make decisions personally so that together in unity, we can make decisions corporately. Does that make sense? Here's our problem in our modern day that the Pharisees and the apostles and the elders of that day didn't necessarily have as much of. In our day and age, we've got tons and tons of content that talk about scripture, but aren't necessarily scripture. Now hear this, this is my preface to all of this. I am not in any way, in any form saying any of this stuff is bad. But I think even the greatest things can be the biggest distractions for us. Can you agree with that? Did would even have the most amount of content to be one of the most educated countries in the world, that we can be so distracted by all of the stuff around us that we lose sight of what we're supposed to be standing upon. So we have books and books and books of content on theology, on spiritual life, on spiritual disciplines, on faith, on Jesus, on historicity, you name it. You go to Amazon and you Google theology, you have over hundreds of thousands of books on theology. You you go into Amazon, you type in spiritual, just put in the word spiritual, or faith or spiritual different disciplines, or spiritual formation. Hundreds of thousands of con- books of content on the issue, on the conversation. I don't know about you, I can't read that much. Nor do I want to. But we get caught up because some of those authors are awesome. And we have all of this content to it. But for some of us, we like, I don't read books. <laughs> Anyone? Amen? I don't read books. But here's the other thing. They had content back in the day. They had scrolls. They could go and, and listen to the scrolls read. But in our day, we've got something different. We have this bad boy right here. I don't, eh, I don't know what's going to open up. Here's the password if you want to log in. We have this bad boy. that In a second, I could turn this on. I could log on to the Wi-Fi, which we tell you the password. It's on the walls if you didn't know. And you could already have gone online this morning, Gone, Jason, I don't know if I agree with you. And you could have Googled what I'm saying. And before you, I even got to the end of the sermon, you could have said, yeah or nay. Like, Jason, you're an idiot. That was the dumbest sermon ever. Because of what you pulled up on your device and on your phone. And so we have this in front of us. And you're like, well, Jason, I don't have that. I don't have a MacBook Air, at whatever. And this is a pretty awesome computer. I don't have one of those. But I guarantee we all have one of these of some sort. Does anyone have like an analog, you have to hit seven buttons to write one word, letter in a text message anymore? Flip phone, anyone got a flip phone in here? Right? We all have this device, which is awesome because it gives us instant access to this beautiful thing called Google. That Google has all the answers and Google just doesn't really have all the answers. It just points us to this really nice gentleman called Wikipedia. And all of a sudden we are barraged with information. And we use YouTube as a feeder. And we use Wikipedia as a feeder. And then we get so interested, like, oh, I'm going to grab a book. Like, this is a great book on the notes of Leviticus. And we're going to open this up, and we're going to dive into this this content. And we're going to fill our our books up, and we're going to have these picked up and we're like wondering, man, how can I put these on my shelf then to make them look really nice next to that wooden plaque on my wall that says, by faith, we've been saved. And so it's really nice because I got that from Hobby Lobby. And this defines my faith, right? You're laughing because you know it's true. And here's what I want to encourage you guys with. None of this stuff is bad. Actually, it's really good. Man, has God blessed us, give us authors and pastors and resources and theologians and academians and people who love Jesus to tell us of their journey, of their story and to putting in a format that everybody around the world could have it. How awesome is it that, that God has blessed us with that? Back in the day in Acts 15, they didn't have even this. There was a scroll that was held in the temple that was read and then this, this described by the apostles and the disciples. They didn't even have that at their access. God has blessed us with access to all of this content. But here's the problem. And my mom had taught me this all throughout my life. Jason, you can read as many books as you can, but for every book you read, make sure you read the Bible more. If you read two books, read the Bible twice. I was like, mom, that's a heavy burden. I don't read that fast. My dad reads that fast. I don't read that fast. So it's not that it's bad but when this becomes what speaks your truth we lose sight of the truth. And if we're going to live in unity as the church and we're going to be able to move through the disagreements that we're going to have as the church we can resolve those but individually we've got to make some decisions. We've got to first I don't know what to do with this set this aside and we've got to We've got to put this down or put it on Do Not Disturb for a while. And we've got to take our books and just not throw them away. Don't throw them away. Don't burn them. Like, these are awesome books. But just to, just to set them aside, just for, for a moment, and say, okay, these are good. And they've taught me a lot. Man, lot. I still have books from college. Anyone? No one? How many of you not gone to college yet? Save up. Because you're going to have all these books. And they're going to teach you some great things, but sometimes we just have to set them aside and we've got to get down to to one thing, and that is this. We've got to clear the table and let God's word stand as one thing that we hold to. And we've got to ask ourselves a question. Am I believing something that I've read from the internet, from my phone, from my computer, or from a book more than I'm holding on to the truth as God's word? Have I read a book about theology that's really good and accurate, but have I never read the word of God? It's interesting as a pastor, the amount of times I hear people take scripture out of context. And that's not to, to discredit them, but a lot of it is because they haven't been taught or they haven't leaned into understanding the word of God. I was sitting with a friend this last week who shared a passage with me, who shared it with a friend. Like that, the Bible doesn't say that. And he was like, it does right there. What? And this is someone who's been in the faith for a long time and they didn't understand just some of the basic things that the word of God says, because honestly, this became their world. And this was lost in the shadows. We need to raise this up out of the shadows, church. Because as we come to these disagreements, just as Peter did, he pointed us back to God's word and God's promise. Just as uh, James did, he pointed us back to God's word and God's promise. And then out of that promise, the church agreed and was unified. And they said, We're going to run after the holiness of God together for the sake of the gospel to see that gospel move throughout the world. That's awesome. And we have this all right here in front of us. I'll say this too. If you don't have a Bible this morning, come find me before you leave today. I will give you one. I'll give you this one right here. Because I want this to be the, the foundation that we stand on, the word of God. I want this to, to be the book that we drives every decision we make, every conversation we have that we run back to this all the time, first and foremost. And again, this isn't bad, but for every one of these, read this once. And that's a, hard, that's a hard goal. Or maybe I read a chapter a day to keep someone, someone away. I'm gonna read a chapter here. I'm gonna read two chapters here. Always make this more in our lives because when the disagreements come up, and they will, God will move through that. God will move through that. I'm going to have the the worship team come back up and they're going to lead us in in an incredible song. The idea that we have this living hope that we stand on, it's right here. And then we can cry that out and sing that out to God and say, thank you. Because I can't say enough what it means to have this. And to be able to have access to it so honestly, easily, for a world to be shaped and changed by this book. By the way, still the best-selling book in the universe of all time. Still. It's unbelievable. Lord, I, I'm thankful. Lord, I truly am thankful that you've given us technology and that you've given us literature that we can learn and we can grow and we can, we can dig into together. And Father, I am absolutely, 100% thankful that we have this foundation, this rock of your word that we can can live life from, Lord, that we can engage the church together from. Lord, that we don't have to go, that we're starving for this. Lord, I, I know there's people in the world that don't have access to this. Lord, I wanna be a part of the church that's making this accessible to everyone on the planet. So Father, may we stand on this. And as we live life as the church, we always draw us back to it. When there's joy, may we find joy in your word. When there's celebration, may we celebrate your word. When there's disagreement, when we resolve it through your word. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the gospel that, that we don't have to go through the ringer to be saved, but we just have to have faith and believe that through the, the beautiful work of the cross and your resurrection by by your grace for us that we have been saved. Oh, we love that. So may that be true in all that we do, in all that our lives are about. Or may we be a church that will always hold to the power and the strength, help us to live and to hold to the power and the strength of your word as our rock and as our foundation. And Lord, may that shine through us as a church, as we go out each and every day into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our sports fields and and wherever we go, Lord. That we stand secure on the powerful and mighty work of the word of God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask all in your incredible name of Jesus. Amen.